that I feel like I'm failing in so many areas of life right now. today's podcast episode. It's a solo catch up and then I am going to actually tack an interview onto the end of this solo episode. It's an interview with Erin Bao and I really love the content of the conversation that we had, but I want to be really upfront with you and say the audio is not great. Unfortunately, sometimes when we are recording remote interviews, the audio just doesn't come through very well and I don't know it in the moment sometimes because I can hear it very clearly, but upon listening back to this episode, I was really, really bummed to just hear that the audio quality isn't as crisp and as clear as I would normally like, but I think the content of the conversation is still really important. So if you want to listen to that episode with Erin, it's all about the sensation of feeling triggered by your children. And you'll hear me say in that conversation, you know, I'm always saying, oh, my kids are my biggest teachers. And it's certainly not because they sit me down with a clear lesson to teach me. It's certainly because they bring all of this stuff that is within me to the surface, all of my own issues and beliefs and baggage. And you can't help but be triggered at times as you go through this journey of parenting. So Stay put like at the end of this solo chat if you do want to hear that conversation. Again, I'm so sorry that the audio quality isn't brilliant, but I think the quality of what Erin is sharing with us is actually really helpful. And I know that it will just resonate with so many people listening, particularly those who are still in the thick of school holidays or perhaps just coming off the back of our spring school holiday break here in Australia. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, that said, I am still in the thick of school holidays. As I'm recording this, the boys are actually spending some time with their dad and co-parenting, and I, I wouldn't even call it co-parenting, parallel parenting is really challenging. And it's actually one of the things I was going to touch on today, but I am feeling really grateful for this two hour gap where I can sit down and record some podcast introductions and some solo episodes because I've really been missing it. I've been craving just that time to sit down and do it. And the kids are so good on school holidays. Like they really are such good kids in terms of If I need to record an ad, if I need to do bits and pieces, I can. And at the same time, they are nearly 10-year-old twin boys and it is full on and we have kids over all the time. 
which I like, but it does mean it's a busy household and I feel like I'm constantly chasing my tail, which I guess is part of, well, actually it's kind of the basis of what I wanted to talk about with you today. And that is that I have found myself lately saying both out loud, but also just kind of repeating with my own internal dialogue that I feel like I'm failing in so many areas of life right now. And that's obviously not a comfortable or particularly positive or optimistic thing to get on the microphone and share with you, but it's the truth of how I'm feeling at the moment. I feel like I am so thinly spread across so many areas in life and I'm not doing anything particularly well. It feels like I'm doing that doggy paddle. It feels like I'm treading water to just keep my head above. And I don't think I'm excelling in any area of life right now. That's why I keep coming back to this sentiment of like, I just feel like I'm failing. It's failing and it's flailing and it's a horrible way to feel And I also recognize that nothing is truly disastrous. I'm in a fortunate position. Like there's nothing that's happening in my life that isn't fixable or that's completely unmanageable, but it's just that sensation of never feeling like I'm doing anything particularly well right now. And so, as I said, that's not a comfortable thing to sit down and talk about. Um, not because I want to have a facade that everything is perfect and I'm, you know, across absolutely everything and I'm kicking goals in all areas of life, but it's more that it's confronting to sit down and really feel it. You know how you have that kind of ever present sensation that you're not doing enough in so many areas of life, but if you don't actually sit down and say it out loud or look at it, You can kind of ignore it and you can kind of get busy with doing everything else that keeps your head above the water. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm sure there'll be someone out there who's nodding along. But I feel like, you know, when it comes to parenting, even in mum life, and I do at my core believe I am a good mum and I love the boys so, so much and I'm always trying to do my best. And maybe that's part of the problem. Recently, I had a conversation with a philosophy and feminism educator, and I'll be bringing that interview to the podcast, but we were talking about how there's this idealized version of what it means to be a mum that is ever present, and it's about being over-invested and ever-nurturing and ever-present and having you know, all of the answers and doing it all with ease and with grace and while looking beautiful and being feminine and all of those things. And so there's this ever-present pressure on us as mums. And that's a massive part of it. It's a huge, huge part of why we often feel like we're not doing it right or we're not doing enough. And like last night I was sitting on the couch and I was crying and I was saying to Brendan, like, I feel like I'm not being a good mom. And I know logically I am, you know, even objectively, I am a good mom. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I am certainly a good mom. But I have all of these waves of feeling like I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing it right And again, I can objectively zoom out and use my logical brain to know that that is part of parenting. It's part of parenting to get things wrong and to not have all of the answers and to grow up alongside your children. 
logically I understand that they need adversity and they need challenges, but emotionally I really am struggling with certain elements of parenting right now. The main theme being parallel parenting. I wish I could say it's a co-parenting dynamic, but it's certainly not. And just, I don't know what the right thing is to do sometimes because you want to listen to your children. You want to honor what your children need and want. And that is my North star. And then at the same time, there are other elements that come into play that you absolutely have to consider because that's part of their best interest as well. And so there are parallel parenting dynamics that I can't get into here as much as I would love to sit down and be like, and spew it all out because I think it would be helpful. I also can't. But there are these things that pop up that I'm just feeling so, I don't know, I don't even, so conflicted and so hurt about and so unsure on what I'm meant to do. Then there are other elements of parenting where, you know, with my boys, as you guys will likely know, one of them has inattentive type ADHD, just like his mother and like his grandmother, I will say, particularly after doing a podcasting interview with my mom. But my other son, I definitely need to go down the, um, I don't know if I should use the language need to go down, but I want to explore autism with him And there are things that I think, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? And then I feel frustrated with myself because I'm educated on so many topics with parenting. And yet sometimes when you're so close to the source, when you're so in something, and I guess that's why there is that expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. But I think, oh my goodness, I've missed things and maybe I've let him down and maybe he would be feeling more confident in certain ways if I'd seen that sooner and I'd done this and I'd done that. And then it's like, oh my gosh, the thought of going through all of the other bits and bobs. And as I said, I am well aware, nothing is disastrous. And I'm certainly not upset at the thought of either of the kids having any of those sorts of things, but it's more just like the pressure I feel I feel like everything is on me all of the time and I'm meant to know what to do and sometimes I just don't. And I think that probably a lot of parents can relate to that. There are certain things with parenting that I feel like I've got such a good grip on and then there are certain things that I just feel like, oh my gosh, where is the adult in the room who's going to tell me what to do and how to manage it and make sure I manage this well? I feel like lately in my own life, I have been the emotional airbag, the emotional scaffolding for so many different situations. And I'm so grateful that I've got girlfriends who do scaffold me as well. And then that leads into another thing that I'm feeling like I'm not doing well enough is I don't feel like I'm being a good enough friend right now in life because this last month, like September for us was just really really hard and really challenging in so many ways. And I had girlfriends who stepped up and really scaffolded me. And then I feel like in turn, I'm not doing enough for them. And again, like no one's saying that to me. And I'm saying it to my friends. Like I'm saying, I'm so sorry that I haven't dropped you over a meal. I'm so sorry that, you know, I forgot that special date. And all of my, like my close girlfriends understand that. 
you know, I've only got a few very close girlfriends, but they're girlfriends that have been in my life for a long time. One of my nearest and dearest has never even had social media. And so, you know, I talk with her and I'm saying like, I feel like I'm failing you. And she's like, babe, everyone feels like that. Everyone feels like they're failing the people in their life right now. And I don't know whether that's true or whether that's more to do with her experience of where she's at right now with two young children as well. But I remember these things, you know, I'll be in the shower and I think, oh, when I get out of the shower, I need to send so-and-so a text message because I know that tomorrow's a hard day for them or I know they've got an interview. And then I get out of the shower and I get completely distracted. And then I don't remember until I wake up in the middle of the night going, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. So I feel like I'm failing in that area as well. When it comes to work, I'm so fortunate to be in the position that I am in, in terms of I absolutely love the job that I get to do. And it's not a job I ever predicted I would get to do. And at the same time, it's the sort of job that sits wholly and solely on my head and shoulders. And that brings along with it a whole other laundry list of challenges and different things that sit on my mind as well. You know, like where am I going to be in five years? And that's part of why I've been studying But to be completely honest with you, I haven't been studying in the last month because I'm not getting to it. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the time. So again, that feels like something else that I'm failing at. And I know, and I don't want this to be, and I know that it is, like this is not a particularly uplifting episode to listen to, but that's just the reality of life. Sometimes you can know logically and zoom out and go, well, it's okay if I haven't studied in the last month because I've got 10-year-old twins, I work for myself, we've had stuff going on, da 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 all of the things, school holidays, but you can still feel shit. Even though logically, you know, it won't be like that forever, it can just still feel really heavy. And I know so many people can relate to that sensation of like, okay, got to get back on the treadmill, got to get things back in line, move through the motions, and then something else in life pops up because that is life. Life is always going to have different things pop up. And it's interesting because even as I sit here and I say it out loud, when I think about feeling like I'm failing when it comes to work stuff, I never sit and reflect on the fact that I have been self-employed for 10 years and that's not an easy thing to be as well. And that's certainly not to say that I have the hardest job in the world. If you've listened to all of the podcast episodes, you will know I fully acknowledge I do not have the hardest job in the world by a long stretch. I'm incredibly fortunate. I'm incredibly privileged that things aligned at the times that I was able to create this job, this niche where I can work around my family and I can support myself. And so I never really sit and reflect on going, okay, well, yeah, maybe I don't feel like I'm doing the best right now this month in terms of, you know, effort and attention and, um, growth, but to be proud of the fact that I have managed to do it for myself, by myself for the last 10 years. And I think that that's just such a human thing, isn't it? You know, we get into bed at the end of the day and we start berating ourselves for all of the things that we've not done well, 
without actually using our brain to recognize the things that we have done well and to zoom in and focus on those. And our brain definitely does have a negative bias. We are able to process negatives with more ease. And in this weird kind of sick way, I think negatives can be comforting if they confirm a belief that we hold about ourselves. If deep down we do feel like we're unworthy or we're not good enough, when that evidence is put in front of us, our brain zooms in on it with more ease and more veracity than it does if conflicting, contradicting evidence is put in front of us. It's, it's that beta Meinhof phenomenon. And I speak about this all the time with the boys. I will say to them, if you are thinking about something, then you're going to notice it. The beta Meinhof phenomenon is, you know, say that you're thinking about buying a red car, all of a sudden, everywhere you go, you now start to see red cars. So I relate that to this experience of feeling like I'm failing because not that I'm buying a red car, but if I keep saying out loud and I keep saying to myself, I feel like I'm failing in every area of life, my brain focuses and seeks out the proof to confirm that biases because that's actually safe and comforting that I'm able to predict that outcome in a sick, weird way. Whereas if I was telling myself, saying out loud and changing my dialogue, which I know how to do, I have training in cognitive behavioral therapy. I believe wholeheartedly in DBT. I know that we can change these thoughts. And if I can do that, then my brain, and it's not if I can do that, it's if I was doing that, because I know I can, then maybe my brain would be seeking out more proof and I would have more compassion for myself. And we're so good at doing that for other people. You know, I think often if a friend came to me that was in my exact situation and was saying, I'm feeling all of these ways, I would say to her, my love, you have 10 year old twins and you have them you know, one of them 100% of the time and the other one 85% of the time, you're doing an actual incredible job. And I would list off all of the ways that that's happening. And I would provide some comfort and some compassion. But it's hard to do that for ourselves. It's really, really challenging. And so I guess the whole purpose of sitting down and recording this episode was to say to you, to anyone listening who can relate If you can relate to that sensation of feeling like you are failing in so many areas of your life, I want to encourage you, and this is what I need to do for myself as well, to pause and actually define what failing in those areas looks like. Because I think failing in those different areas in life would actually be not trying, not caring, not being invested. It's not what you're doing and it's not what I'm doing. It's not failing if you are feeling the response, like the responsibility that you have and that you're carrying in these areas, because the weight can be really heavy and that's not failure. And so that's something that I have been doing this morning as I've just been going through the motions rather than having a podcast playing while I'm doing the dishes and I'm getting things sorted and before the kids woke up. I've actually just been thinking over things and going, okay, Kylie, you feel like you're failing. What actually is the definition of failing? 
and just reframing. And that has just been a really helpful little thought exercise. There's so much societal pressure, so many societal expectations put upon us and the landscape of the traditional gender roles only makes things harder as well. So many of us are navigating this really tricky time in our lives where we're trying to be everything to everyone as well as be there for ourselves. You know, we're juggling work, we're juggling kids, we're juggling family, juggling a social life if we have the energy. And there's always something else that we're not doing well. And so today I just wanted to say to you that I know how that feels. If you're in the same boat, I want to encourage you to actually define what failing is in each of those areas. You know, even for me, I'm particularly hard on myself at the moment when it comes to friendships, just because I think about my close girlfriends so often. And at the same time, I just get crowded out. And I feel like I don't have the resources. You know, I'm always saying to one of my friends, we need to go away for a weekend. We need to go away for a weekend. And I'm like, fuck, when I get my one child free weekend every now and then, I don't even have the bandwidth to do much more than maybe go out for dinner at the most. And even right now with the cost of living, we're hardly doing that. You know, just at the weekend gone, my mum and my niece came down and I wanted to be able to take them somewhere nice for dinner. I wanted to give them that experience and I had to say like, and no one asked me for that, but that's just something I wanted to do. And I had to be really honest with myself and say like, I can't afford to do that right now, but I can afford to take everyone for a round of drinks and some nibbly somewhere nice. So making that compromise, I don't even know how I got on that topic, but thinking about friends, letting down, affording things, all of that stuff, failure. I think it would be more of a failure to not feel that, if that makes sense. I think the fact that I care is actually a positive and it it does mean that I'm not failing. It just means I'm feeling stretched. During the conversation I had with the feminist educator, Elise, and again, that episode, I will get it edited and I will get it up for you because I think it's a rich conversation in terms of patriarchy, capitalism, and also mum guilt and how they all tie in together. So stay tuned for that one. But something she said to me was that one of the ways to combat mum guilt, and I guess guilt in general, and this sounds counterproductive, but it's to actually do things for yourself. And it always comes back to that silly analogy that is so cheesy, but so true that we can't pour from an empty cup. And if we're so stretched, so thin, thinly that we're not actually being present anywhere we're going to feel like we're continually coming up short so stopping and recharging filling up your own cup is really really important and I know that sounds counterproductive when you feel like your dance card is so full that you can't actually get more into your day and you can't actually do things for yourself But I thought that was a really interesting thing. And given that it came from someone very educated in the field, it's something that I definitely want to take on board. How do we change the experience of feeling like we're not doing anything particularly well? 
I think it helps to actually journal on the things that we do well. Even just a humble little checklist of things we're doing well, as small as they may seem or as insignificant as they may seem, may help us to redirect our focus as well and to zoom in and highlight those things with more ease rather than just defaulting to that negative bias that our brain often sits in. Actually enjoying things and being present and being mindful. And again, I know mindfulness and meditation, it's that sort of stuff that we often roll our eyes at, or I do, because it's like, I don't want to do that. That's annoying. But (laughs) if we can just be more present and more mindful rather than going through the list of things that we're not doing well or all the ways that we should be better, that's going to be helpful as well. Perfectionism steals from us. It really does. When we feel like we're not hitting this imaginary bar, I say imaginary bar, but truthfully, there is this bar that we feel like we should all be hitting. And it does come from societal expectations and pressure and false narratives You know, so often we're looking at other people's lives on social media, and I know that I'm that person for someone. I know someone might look at my feed or things that I do or say and go, oh, that's setting an impossibly high bar. But as I hope that you can hear in this episode, I certainly don't feel like I have it all together and I don't want to be that bar for anyone. I don't want to be that marker that makes someone feel like they're not enough. So please take that on board when it comes to other people as well. They might not be sitting down and doing a 20-minute podcast telling you how much of a failure and how much of a piece of shit they feel like, but they're probably still feeling it on some days. We all need support, and none of us have enough. None of us are living in the village economy that I think we were meant to live in, in terms of raising our family. We're all trying to be absolutely everything to our kids, to our partners, to our friends. And we feel like we're always coming up short because there just aren't enough resources to go around. Having conversations with your family, I think, is really helpful as well. And you don't have to sit them down and go to pieces and say, I'm a failure. But you can say, hey, I actually am feeling so stretched and I feel like I'm not doing a good job in these areas And maybe there are areas that they can actually pitch in and help with, or maybe they can just right size your concern by actually talking back to you and reminding you that they don't feel that way. It was actually really interesting over the weekend when my mum was down, because as I mentioned, we did sit down and record two podcast episodes together. One episode is about her experience and her upbringing And we spoke about her reality of raising three young children. And my mum was saying to me that she felt like her work ethic always got in the way of parenting. And if she could go back and do things differently, she wouldn't have prioritized her work as much. And she's always felt guilty. And that was a revelation to me because I never felt that as a child. Well, I don't remember feeling it. And certainly upon reflection now, when I look back on my childhood, Never does that cross my mind. Other things cross my mind, but never does it cross my mind that my mum worked too hard and she wasn't available for us. But that was her experience. And so I'm bringing that up because my experience is that I feel like I'm failing 
But when I talk it out with Brendan or I mention things to the kids, and again, not in the way that I go to the boys and say, I'm a failure, prop me up, but talking about how, you know, I wish that I'd paid more attention to that thing, or maybe I could do that in a better way or whatever it is. That's not necessarily their experience at all, because so much of this is internalized and it's not our fault that it's internalized. We're all grappling with internalized misogyny. We're all grappling with internalized gender stereotypes, what it means to be a martyr, what it means to be a caregiver, what it means to be a woman right now. We're all trying to figure that out. And so much of our internal experience, um, it, it informs how we think other people feel about us, but it's not necessarily accurate at all. And again, just reminding ourselves often to zoom out and to not focus too much or to not set up camp where we are right now and to know that it will pass. And yes, things can feel really full on and like we're failing, but that's just how it feels in the moment. And that doesn't mean that that's how we are overall. So zooming out, journaling, having conversations, giving ourselves a bit of compassion and perspective all of those things are helpful and just doing that stuff for myself this morning has actually made a difference in terms of I feel less tight in my chest and less stressed and less I guess pressurized something else that I want to encourage you to do is to consider taking part in our four-week commitment I use the word commitment because I don't want a four-week challenge right now but I think a four-week commitment right now during this time of year is actually a brilliant thing to do. So many of us are feeling really exhausted. We're tired. It's nearly the end of the year. We're burnt out. A lot of us are. But this four-week commitment, it really is just an invitation for you to be curious about what it is that you need more of. And as I say in the four-week commitment episode, maybe what you need more of is actually nothing. You need white space and you need to actually get in the habit of allowing yourself to replenish without doing anything. So there is a subscriber or a members only episode live right now. We do have the Apple subscription active, which is very exciting. Let me tell you, that was an exciting day when that finally came through. So the Apple subscription means that you can um, opt in and it's the cost of a cup of coffee per month, which I think is fair. When we were pricing it, I was really like, I know that everything right now is so expensive, but for the cost of one cup of coffee per month, subscribers get a bonus episode every single week and all episodes are ad free. So if you want to become an Apple subscriber and you have an Apple phone, it's so easy to do. Go to the podcast feed. You can just click subscribe and it all goes through your um, Apple iPhone user ID and all of that. It's very, very simple to do. So that is live. Our subscriber episode talking about the four-week commitment is really just walking you through what it is that you can do. So for the next four weeks, because the time is going to pass, the time is going to pass. You're going to get four weeks down the track. And I say this in the episode, you know, I always think about my period. It just comes from, it just, it just is always there, right? Like that four weeks between my periods, I feel like goes so quickly. 
And I think we underestimate what we can actually achieve in a four week period. So that's why it's a four week commitment. So that episode is up. Become an Apple subscriber if you fancy. There are other episodes in there. There's an episode where I'm talking about the comorbidity of eating disorders with ADHD. And that was a really fascinating conversation with Steph, the psychologist. She was saying that so many women come to her thinking they have an eating disorder, but they actually leave with an ADHD diagnosis or with information to go and get their ADHD diagnoses because there's such a massive crossover. So that's a subscriber episode as well. As I said, it's very easy to become an Apple subscriber if you want to. Now, as I mentioned up top, I have another episode to share with you, and I'm just going to zip it with this one for those of you who are interested. It's with Dr. Erin Bao. Erin is a clinical and perinatal psychologist, a course creator and business mentor. She's the author of More Than a Healthy Baby, Finding Strength and Growth After Birth Trauma, and also Social Media Detox for Mums, A New Way to Find Balance. Erin has her own podcast as well. It is called Mum As You Are. Erin also teaches students from 45 countries in her mental health courses. You may have seen Erin um, in the Morning Herald, in the Body and Soul section, on Kidspot. She's been on the podcast before. I always enjoy chatting with Erin. And this is a conversation about kids triggering you. And like I said, the audio is not incredible, but incredible, but I think the content from Erin is. So I will have her details in the show notes as well. If you can relate to that experience of feeling like you're failing, slide into my DMs. I don't want anyone else to be going through that experience, but sometimes it is comforting to know that you're not alone in feeling stretched across all areas and at the same time, feeling grateful for what you've got. And it's not about going, oh, wow, my life is so hard. It's just like, oh, this doesn't feel so good right now. And taking a pause and actually noticing what is going on. Last but not least, thank you to those of you who have signed up to be an Apple subscription member. It means an awful lot to me. And there are those few back catalog of episodes that you can access as well. Check out the four-week commitment and let's get into my conversation with Dr. Erin. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. Erin Bao, you are a clinical and perinatal psychologist, an author, a mentor, an educator, supervisor, podcaster, and a mum, amongst other things. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to have this chat with me. Absolutely. Thank you. So you and I are going to chat about why our children trigger us and how we can cope with that. Mm. Big topic. It is. It really is. It's a topic I love because I often say, oh, my kids are my biggest teachers. And by teachers, I mean triggerers. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
I mean, they bring everything I don't like about myself right to the surface and allow me to look at it up close. Yeah, it's like walking around with a gigantic mirror. Everything you want to shadow, everything you don't want to know or look about it yourself, they're going to point it out. And I guess if you don't realise that that's what's happening, you probably then project onto your kids, right? So I imagine it comes out more as anger and frustration at your children. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the most, I guess, common reaction we're talking about when we're talking about like when people say, oh, my kids are triggering me. That's usually what's coming up is the anger and the frustration and the lack of needs being met. Yeah. So say we have some people listening and, you know, maybe just one or two people listening right now who can relate to being frustrated and annoyed and find themselves feeling angry when their kids do certain things. How can those listeners, um, I'm smiling because it's all of us, everyone who has kids can relate. (laughs) How can we be, I guess, more aware of what's going on? Mm. The first thing I think to point out is, that you can't do too much of this work if you're in active crisis. So if you are in the absolute thick of sleep deprivation and like sleep, eating, financial security, stuff in life is generally not going well, now's not the time to do that, not to think about it. Like if you're just surviving, don't add in, (laughs) don't analyse it to the mix because you'll just drive yourself absolutely bonkers. So this is for like if you're relatively well rested, you can sort of see that triggers are coming up because there's the everyday stuff of like you're tired, you're overstimulated, you and your child will mirror that back at each other. If they've not had their cup topped up, you probably haven't either. If they're feeling tired, you're probably feeling tired. So there's the kind of surface level stuff. This is more the deeper like, ooh, that bristling that you get in your body. Um, I had a coach who once said to me, I've never forgotten it, she's like, you know, they don't play whiny toddler music at day spas. (laughs) That is so true. You don't have to love every minute of every day. You're allowed to feel frustrated. And so many of us are taught we're not actually supposed to feel like that. So then we push it down and then it gets, you know, fired up more and more and more. So sometimes I think this goes back to the... I like to think of it as like the adaptive inner child. So somewhere in there is an angry five-year-old who maybe is looking at a situation like, all right, your child's not eating their dinner. Okay, 80s parenting suggested. I suppose that you eat everything on your plate, like, you know, all the things about starving children in Africa, all the things about all the injustice, right? And then, of course, you were made to eat food. It was probably somewhat traumatic and not you know it's an unresolved childhood wound right and then you think in your rational mind but I want differently for my child I don't want my child to go through that and that's your logical adult mind saying that but in there your angry wounded five-year-old is saying I can't believe this brat is getting away with this like it's unfair and it's unjust so this is the thing I suppose to remember that happens with families you're Sometimes people think of it as like a natural state, but you're kind of whatever your state was in your family when there was tension and arguing, whether you were a fighter or a flare or a freezer or someone who just people pleased, you'll tend to replicate that pattern later on when you're reminded of something in it. So it's about the old familial wounds. (laughs) Isn't everything? It always comes back to that. 
It's um, it's really interesting to me, and it sounds like there are a couple of different, I guess, ways of being triggered, such as reverting to that inner child where you want to fight, flight, freeze, all of that stuff. So mm. your child's doing something, it bothers you, you go back to that learned behavior of getting defensive or wanting to exit. And then you're like, I can't exit. I have to be here. I can't do that. And you also can't really fight in that situation. So I imagine that's a really stressful time to feel flooded and not know how to handle it or to feel guilty for how you are handling it because that's just the way that you operate. Mm. Then I guess another um, another way of looking at being triggered is when our children mirror back to us our own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've definitely been really, really cognizant of because one of my boys is so similar to me. I'm very careful not to say like, oh, he's a bit of me or all of that stuff because I don't want to you know, be too enmeshed, but I can't not see how similar we are. Mm. And even my mum recently said like, oh yes, he is just so much like you as a child. And there are things that he will struggle with that I find so irritating and so hard to stay calm. Mm. But when I go below the surface, it's because those are the parts of me that I don't like. It's like, I find it hard that he's not great socially. And I'm like, that's because I'm not great socially. And I hate that about myself. And so I imagine that's a ho- like that's another kind of path that we can be triggered in with our children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm the same. I have one child who her default fight mode is a lot more similar to my husband. So I find that easier to manage. My other daughter is a lot more like me (laughs) so it's like this is intolerable it's frustrating and then that triggers all my childhood wound stuff about emotions were intolerable and frustrating for one of my parents and so it's just like oh boop 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 down the line like so annoying right but such a potential for growth if we recognize that's just what we're reacting to yes and I love that you mentioned this is the sort of stuff you can you know, be curious about when you are rested and your Mm. cup is full, because if you're not meeting those basic needs, and then we add this whole other level of, oh, and you should be mindful of when you're being triggered. It's just more weight on our shoulders that we really can't carry. Yeah. I don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that to yourself. Like, honestly, you, the first kind of basic surface level stuff is making sure all those Maslow's hierarchy of need things are met and making sure that you're well rested, that you're fed, that you're getting movement, all that stuff. You can't self-actualise in a moment of crisis. It's actually really mean to do that to yourself. And so say those needs are met, how do we cope with these different ways of being triggered? Mm -hmm. I think because I've been hearing from a lot of mums lately actually about they've tried strategies and then they'll say, oh, but it doesn't work. So there's a kind of few things about that. I think the first thing that happens is Sometimes people want to jump in with a strategy without actually looking at the awareness part first. So it's like a good old-fashioned curve. If you think about, um, depending on how you do things, but if you think about like naps and toilet training, that idea of like looking at a curve of looking to read the cues. What are my baby's cues that they need to go to sleep? And you're going to miss them. (laughs) You're going to misread them. Same with toilet training. But after a while, when you watch and you actually track them, you go, ah, this is when I caught it. Kind of anger and frustration is the same. You've got to think about that curve and think, what's a one out of 10 
what's a three, what's a four, what's a 10 out of 10? Because often people are trying to go in with a strategy when they're actually flooded with cortisol and stress hormones, which will turn off the logical part of your brain and there's no point trying to be logical there. It's like, why well, you don't reason with a screaming three-year-old? It's like, they're gone. Bye-bye. <laughs> so you've got to catch it a lot quicker. I live by the quote, you cannot reason with the unreasonable. So I love that. <laughs> and I also love that analogy of the curve. It's just being mindful of like, okay, where are we going here? Almost like little stepping stones of realizing I'm going down the path now of being triggered and kind of catching it mm. so that maybe next time you don't get as many stepping stones down or you at least understand what's going and kind of zoom and have that ability to kind of zoom out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So in, um, I know in Circle of Security, they call it shark music. So it's like that figuring out what's the first trigger that your body starts tensing. For some of us, it might be there's a certain look that your child gets on their face. It might be the tiniest hint of a whinge, something. And then you've got to figure out, okay, if that's about a two or a three, that's the time to start the strategy, not stuff it down do what I used to do, pick up your phone and distract yourself to look at something else, think I should be able to get through this, I should be able to breathe my way through it and just stuff it down. Like what you're doing is suppressing it, you're not actually managing it. And do they call it shark music, Erin, because that's the dunna, dunna. That's so cool. (laughs) And what a great way to explain it. I'm sitting here thinking not just – I know that our listenership is predominantly – women who have children but I think that people you know I think for fathers I think fathers need to hear this and understand Mm. this concept as well because they're just as likely to be triggered and perhaps I think sometimes in some cases have less awareness of what's Mm. happening they might be less open to this concept of the inner child but I think pretty much every male I can think of right now would understand that feeling of shoulders creeping up getting tense fuse getting shorter I think that's such a helpful way like it's such helpful language to explain what's happening when you're triggered yeah and like we were talking about before with the you know bubble baths and green smoothies and nice inspirational quotes are nice but they're actually not very good for anger women in particular are kind of socialized to think that you're not supposed to get angry So a lot of the women I work with do things like go and have a cup of tea, read a book, look at a nice quote, but you're angry. How's that actually going to diffuse the anger? It's not. All it's doing is suppressing it and making you deny your own needs. So for some women it's like, okay, you need to go punch a punching bag, do some heavy push-ups, lift some weights, throw a pair of socks, scream into a pillow, do something to actually release the anger, not to sort of try and pacify it. That's such good advice, Erin, because we all know that experience of being flooded with anger and someone tells us to calm down. And I feel like just, I feel like going and making yourself a cup of tea and being like, self-care, self-care, have a cup of tea, be soft, be, you know, all of that stuff that we're told is the salve as women. It's not, you know, Mm. you're so right. I know for me, it's getting into my garage and it's getting on that stair mill sometimes and like taking really heavy like oh like I'm gonna go through this machine kind of stomping and you know even music that makes you feel in touch with your anger and allows you to have that experience because Mm -hmm. you're right we're socialized 
don't be angry, be small, be quiet, be good, be compliant, be grateful. And there's just not a lot of space for us to actually move that through our system. No, and it ties back in so nicely with birth. You know, the births that generally go smoother are the ones where you you use energy, you make noises that you would never ordinarily make in public spaces. But if you try and do this like passive, don't annoy anybody, don't make noises, stay still, that's when birth starts to get a bit choppy. So it's interesting then sometimes that can be a pattern for people where they're like, I've just tried to pacify everything to keep people happy. It's like, no, it's okay to get angry. But knowing what a safe anger practice is is sometimes the thing that scares people too because they actually don't know what healthy anger looks like. Yeah, because it's not role modelled for us. It's not shown on TV. It's usually when someone has completely been pushed far past their threshold and that's when it's, you know, Beyonce with the baseball bat to the car or whatnot. (laughs) Um, But recently actually we were gifted a family voucher to a place called Rage Cage and you go and it's like it's the strangest experience Erin but you go in and it was like in this industrial area and you go into these little pods and you get milk crates filled with breakables and baseball bats and sledgehammers and there's angry music on and you're in your coveralls and you just smash anything (laughs) and everything and my boys like they're pretty placid boys for the most part but one of them, he was like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> and so he just, he can't stop talking about it. But I was like, that's so cool. Like to normalize, oh, you know, it's a safe spot. You've got your safety boots on, you've got your gloves on. These are things that have been purchased for this reason. Yeah. And how cool does it feel to do that? Like it's, mm. it's a really cool thing. But anyway. I digress. There are so many things you and I could talk about. I know that you cover this topic of being triggered by our children in your books. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your two books and where they can grab a copy? Yeah, so the most recent one is Social Media Detox for Mums. That covers a lot actually about the frustration and the anger and the shark music kind of stuff because I think a lot of us, myself included, scroll as a way of distracting ourselves. Do not have oh, to it's do escapism. <laughs> That's it. Pure escapism. But then after a time you kind of go, is this actually bringing me true joy? Am I really, really like living my best life while I'm here? And I look like an hour's gone past and you're like, wow, that's an hour of my life I'm never getting back. You know what I think of it as? I think of it now as social media is a little window that each content creator is allowing you to peek through and it's perfectly curated. Mm -hmm. Even the stuff that's hard, it's still like this window that they allow you to look through when there's like a million other windows really into their life that would give you a better view of them. And that's what I think when I'm scrolling. I'm like, I'm wasting my time. I'm looking through someone's little window who I don't know. It's not necessarily making me feel any better. Like it's Mm. such an interesting thing that we do it. Yes. So instead of actually looking at our mental health and what, you know, we might do to improve some of that, Distraction is not a bad thing, but it's overused. And I know for me, I definitely overused it and told myself all sorts of statements about how I need it for my business. That's another one. So it's just, it's an opportunity to test it out. Like so many people will say, I would love to do what you've done, but I can't because of my business. And I say, cool. Have you actually tested it though? Like in for a week, two weeks? Like it's not for everybody, but as we've talked about before, there's probably better boundaries we can be putting in place that we say we'll get to one day but then one day like I didn't want to be 90 
and looking back and going, yay, Instagram, that was my hobby. That was my life. So, yeah, it's just to give some tools and some strategies and some like, oh, yeah, I haven't considered that before kind of perspective. And I think one of the great things about the way you disseminate the way you deliver this information is it's so relatable and realistic there's nothing you know kind of empirical like I never feel like you're this evangelical like oh so you know everything's bad like I guess what I mean by that is so many of our listeners I think will go oh I don't want to read that I don't want to know about that because you don't want to feel bad Mm. but just the way that you deliver the information is so practical and so true that I think it's definitely worth our listeners getting their hands on a copy because, as you said, yes, it's about the detox from social media and digital and whatnot, but there's also so much more in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not in the business of telling people what to do with their lives. It's just here's some information, might be useful, take it or leave it. Yeah, I love that. So where can our listeners grab a copy? Wherever you buy books. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah amazing i'll make sure that we have some links as well directly so that people can purchase them online erin thank you so much for your time today thank you today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the bunjalung nation In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.